if you don't know me, I'm Logan Fry. My wife's the small lady with the big voice who sings up here every so often, and uh, my grandmother's Debbie Carwright sits back here as friends with Nancy Johnson. If you haven't met me, I'd love to meet you, so come say hi sometime. Uh, today our reading is from Luke 12, 35 through 48. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants." But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his manager, whose master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant, who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him, to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Thank you, Logan. The end of that passage is just funny to me. Every time I read it, I go, oh, severe beating or light beating, which will it be? Jesus is handing out beatings at the end there. That's, that's a little odd. It's a little weird. So uh, if you're curious about that, we will talk around it at the end. So we will get there if you're wondering, what on earth is going on? Don't worry. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. So a couple weeks ago, uh, as we have been moving through chapter 12, I shared a story of personal weakness I shared with you all how I have this irrational fear about the worst-case scenarios of things that could happen to my wife whenever she's home late. Today, I'm going to tell you uh, another story about myself that doesn't exactly paint me in the best light. But, you know, I want you guys to get to know me, to feel like you really know who I am. So you're going to get to uh, look deep behind the veil today. So uh, I got also a feeling that a few of you husbands will be able to relate to me whenever, uh, whenever I'm done telling this story. So about once a year, maybe sometimes more, um, my wife will uh, head out of town, go do something with her family uh, for a night, sometimes as many as three nights. Uh, that happens once or twice a year. And I'm home alone for those nights or, or two or three. And something happens while my wife is gone and I am home alone. Uh, I kind of devolve into like a caveman 
Um, and all of a sudden, all the things that I did all the time uh, to keep my house up just go out the window. Uh, that's right. Thank you. Thank you. So she's gone, and all of a sudden, the dishes don't get done. They just pile up, and the clothes just stay on the floor. The hamper's right there, but, you know, they belong on the floor. And, uh, you know, like, if I'm working from home and I don't have to come into the office, I don't shave, so I get kind of, you know, nasty and everything, and I put off mowing the grass as long as possible, and it's just amazing. Uh, just the way I let the house go, of course, of course, the last thing I do is uh, make the bed. There's no way that's going to happen. So uh, then, then I'm watching the clock, and she's going to be home, I don't know, let's just say uh, Saturday evening. So around 2, 3 o'clock, what happens? It's time to lift it and shift it, right? So now we're going to do two hours of dishes, and we're going to mow the lawn, and we're going to make the bed. I, I, shh, don't tell my wife this, she's sitting right there. But sometimes I don't make the bed till like 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, just so that's made when she gets home. She doesn't know it hasn't been made all day. Uh, so, you know, like, all right, she's coming. Now it's time to get ready. I'll shave. I'll trim my beard up a little bit, you know, so that I look good when she comes in, so that when she comes home, she knows I'm ready. And I let her, even though she's way too smart for this, I let her believe the delusion that I've been ready the whole time. But the fact of the matter is, when you know the time the master's going to be home... <laughs> You wait to the last minute. You wait to the last minute to get prepared. All right. Now, living like this is kind of a gamble. Now, we got four kids. What happens if somebody's sick and she comes home early? You know, like, it, that, that's a scary moment. Uh, what if, what if uh, I, I get so busy working or doing whatever I'm doing that I lose track of time and I miss the note that she's on the way home? Now, listen, I know my wife loves me. I know it. But if she walked in in the house at 11 o'clock on Saturday, uh, I would be embarrassed. Any husbands can say amen to that. You'd be a little embarrassed or am I all alone? All right, now you know too much. All right, the thing is, though, I do know when she's going to be home. And since I know when she's going to be home, I can wait to the last minute. But if I didn't have any idea, if I didn't have any idea when she was going to be home, and I really wanted her to come home to a clean house, what would I need to do? I would need to be ready the whole time. I would need to do my dishes as they come. I would need to do the, 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 the laundry, whatever, put it in my hamper as it comes. I need to make the bed every morning as, as I get out of bed. Now listen, think about this. Those are the same things I always do when she's there. So if I want to be ready for my wife to come home at any moment, then I should live like she's there the whole time. Now, over the last couple weeks, uh, we've been talking a lot about anxiety and we've been talking about worry. Uh, we've looked at five reasons why we don't need to worry, uh, but really it all boiled down to two reasons. The first basic reason that we don't need to worry is that God is trustworthy with all of our earthly needs. We can trust him with our earthly needs. And the second basic reason that we don't need to worry is that it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So in the end, what have we learned? That, that God has eternity in control, and this life is short. So because of those things, we don't need to worry. Now, I want you to uh, continue the story I just told you, but with 
worry, and anxiety in mind. So I want you to imagine with me that Elise and the girls were gone, and I was filled with worry about things outside of the home. So let's just say we had a big conference coming up at the church, and let's uh, pretend that I was still in school, you know, because I was for a decade. Uh, so let, let's pretend I was still in school and I had a big paper due. Um, let's, let's say that maybe a friend of mine is moving, and I have to help him move that weekend. Let's say that maybe I just found out that a close family member uh, is diagnosed with a terminal illness. All right, so if, if all that was going on in my world around me, if I wasn't careful and intentional, then all those things, some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are hard, some of them are just stuff to keep you busy, then all those things could keep me so distracted that I lost track of being ready for Elise to come home. She could come home and, and, and see the truth. What a mess I am without her. With all that worry, and here's the part that I want you to think about, with all that worry pressing in on me, while she's gone, I might not even think about her. And that is a scary proposition. And so, since I was overwhelmed with worry and not thinking about her when she came home, even if I knew, I might find myself surprised. So as Jesus transitions from a discussion about worry and anxiety in in Luke chapter 12, he moves into a call to be vigilant and ready for the coming of the kingdom. And so embedded in this transition is the understanding that worry and anxiety over things of this world keep us distracted from being ready for Jesus to bring the kingdom of God. So it's important for us to see as we look at this section in Luke chapter 12 that it's only after Jesus helps us see that our worry isn't necessary that he calls us to vigilance. We are most vigilant when we have turned our cares and our worries over to the Lord. So breaking free from these worries and anxieties help us be ready for the kingdom to come. Amen? This is what he is saying to us today. And then Jesus wants us to see the blessings that come from living a life that is ready for the kingdom coming. So our passage today is going to divide the world into two groups. There are those who are ready for the coming of the kingdom of God. And there are those who aren't. Those who are ready and those who aren't. And it says in our passage today that there is blessing for those who are ready. And it says that there is judgment for those who aren't. So as we get into the passage today, we need to understand the fundamental principle that Jesus is teaching his disciples. So this is the fundamental principle that we need to understand today. He is exhorting his disciples and us to be constantly ready for the coming of the kingdom. To constantly be ready for the coming of the kingdom. And then what we see is Jesus contrasts those who are ready for the kingdom against those who are so wrapped up in the things of this world that they neglect to get ready for the kingdom. All right, so what does it mean to be ready for the kingdom? That's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to see three descriptions of those who are ready for the coming kingdom. Three descriptions of those who are ready for the coming of the kingdom. Now, we already talked about this. This is kind of like the pre-description. 
All right, so part of being ready is not being anxious and worried about earthly things. We're going to take that as a given as that was the last two weeks. Today we're going to see that Jesus says being ready means waiting, it means watching, and it means being faithful, okay? If we are ready for the coming of the kingdom, then we need to be waiting, we need to be watchful, and we need to be faithful, And as we work through this readiness, we're going to see that those who are ready are blessed, and those who are not ready will receive judgment. All right, let's look at the first passage and and take a look at our first point. The first point is that uh, those who are ready wait for the coming of the kingdom. This comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 37. Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. All right. The overall command that drives this whole passage, is the idea of being ready. The literal language here behind this idea of being dressed for action is is the idea, so what did they wear back then? They wore these long robes. They didn't always wear pants, which are super convenient. Uh, So if you were going to be ready for action, you would take your, your robe and you would fold it up into your belt so that your legs could move, so that you could have agility. You'd put your gym shorts on, essentially. Uh, the, the first century equivalent of putting your gym shorts on is what he's saying. Be ready for action. Having those, those uh, your robes tied up and ready to go, unhindered. And then we see here that they have their lamps burning. Now, if you're, you're keeping watch, this is twofold. It's so you can see, but also so you can be seen. So you know where to go. The lights are on. They didn't have street lights back then. So this is, helps them know where home is, where you are, but also so that you are up, you're about your business, you're doing it, your lamps are on, you're vigilant, you're looking. All right, so this is the background here. And in the house, there is this anticipation or a waiting spirit that you have. All right, you may, you may not know when the master is coming, but we see here that they are confident that the master is coming. How confident are they? Well, they're up. How confident are they? They're keeping their lamps burning. They are confident he's coming, so they are waiting for him. Then what happens? The master arrives. And because they are alert and ready and watchful, what what happens, all right? They can greet him when he comes. They're ready to open the door at once because they're, they're waiting for him. They're looking for him right? So the master arrives and he's welcomed by his servants. Now what this means is the house is clean. They've got the affairs in order. They've they've been doing it all the whole time. They've been living as though the master was there the whole time. So when he comes in, they've been watching. There he is. He's coming. He knocks on the door. Come on in. And he comes in and everything is set just like it would be if he was home. But imagine how that scene would be if he knocked on the door, and they're like, what? 
what the, you know, what's going on? And they go to the door, and, and they got piles of dishes in the kitchen, and they haven't made the bed, and there's laundry everywhere, and the grass is tall, and all these things are going on, and nobody's shaved for days, right? And, and, and the master comes home, and he's, what's going on here? Wouldn't there be a tremendous amount of shame and embarrassment? The entire tone of the greeting would change based on pre preparation. It would go from, master, you're home, to, master, you're home, right? And the whole tone would change. Instead of joy, it would be shame. Instead of excitement, it would be embarrassment. Instead of celebration, there might even be a little bit of fear. There is this sinking feeling that comes from being unprepared. But those who are waiting are prepared. Now the master comes and he finds those who are prepared. And look at the blessing that Jesus promises. It says the, the servants there have been waiting for their master. They've been keeping the house. Everything's in order. And when the master arrives, what does he do? It says that he takes on the role of master, or I'm sorry, of servant. And that he has them come and sit at the table. And it says that he serves them. This is a blessing. The, the whole encounter is positive and there's no shame. And so the joy continues as the master celebrates his return by serving those who waited for him. I just want you to get the, the sense there, the, the, the vibe of the house. This is a very positive and good thing. Yay! The master has arrived. This is great. And now they're having a party where the master is serving his servants. Then Jesus continues, without much of a pause at all. And we see here that he switches to the next thing uh, that, that marks somebody who's ready, and that is that they are watchful. They are watchful. So they've been waiting, now they're watchful. So let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 38 through 40. And this is the second point here, uh, that if you are ready for the kingdom, then you are watching for the kingdom to come. You're watching for the kingdom to come. All right, so we jump right in. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, as, as Jesus is moving through his discussion here about readiness, he changes the metaphor on us right in the middle. Okay? So as he changes this metaphor, all the characters are mixed up. All right? In this particular parable, uh, uh, Jesus is the thief and the disciples are the master. So in the first parable, Jesus is the master and the disciples are the servants. In this one, Jesus is the thief and the disciples are the master. All right? Now, so in my mind, when I, when I hear this parable, there's something else about me. My, my mind always goes to Home Alone. Okay? Home Alone. So you guys have seen that movie. You know how it goes. Kevin, the little boy, he finds out when, when the wet bandits are coming. And what does he do? He says, I will not let my house be broken into. So he's watchful. He's waiting. And he's prepared. He is not going to let the thieves destroy, right? They're not going to let them come in and take everything. So Jesus says, if you know when the bad guy is coming, then you, you, don't, you don't need to be watchful all the time. You just wait till he comes and you do it right then. But you don't know if the thief's ever going to come, so you have to always be watching. If you knew, you could wait to the last minute. 
but you don't know, so you, you have to be watching all the time. So we are waiting, and we are watching all the time. Now, Jesus just spent the whole passage before us telling us not to worry or be anxious. So this kind of uh, watching and waiting should not be one of panic, but one of anticipation. Okay, Not one of panic, but one of anticipation. So Home Alone's a Christmas movie. So in my mind, I'm thinking here of Christmas Eve, right? There is a great deal of watching and waiting on Christmas Eve, but you're waiting with anticipation. You're waiting for something good to come. You're looking forward to presence on Christmas morning. And then again, again, what do we see happen right here in this passage? Again, Jesus says, those who are watchful are blessed. I think the ultimate blessing is being prepared when the kingdom comes. But I think there's another blessing right here in this, in this passage. I think there is real joy in the anticipation. There is real joy in the anticipation. Church, we, we aren't hedging on a maybe. We have peace and security from the confidence that Jesus is going to return. We're not hedging on a maybe. We believe he is coming. We believe it. And since we consider it a certainty, just like on the 24th, you know the next morning it's going to be Christmas, there is anticipation. As we wait and as we watch, we should have confidence that, the, the, that Jesus is coming again and going to bring his kingdom. And so that anticipation should bring joy. This is a good thing. This is an exciting thing. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8 says this, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes. For, it le- for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Our God keeps his promises. Do we believe that? Okay? If we believe that, then our watchfulness is evidence of our faith. Do we believe he's going to return? If we believe he's going to return, what should we be doing? Watching and waiting. Because we believe it. And since we know it's going to come, it should come with excitement and joy that is part of the security of knowing that the kingdom is going to come. Now, after Jesus gives his followers these two parables, uh, Peter asks a question that helps us see what's really going on. What's the bigger picture? What is Jesus doing? So let's look at Peter's question. Peter asked this question in uh, verse 41. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, I think what Peter's trying to do here is figure out if he's in trouble or if someone else is. Okay. Now, the, the thing is, Peter isn't in trouble at all. He is being encouraged to watch and to wait. Now, I also think that Peter proves that he hasn't been waiting and that he has been watchful and that he has even been faithful because he recognized Jesus as Messiah when he came. Because he was watching, 
because he was waiting and because he was faithful, when Messiah shows to bring in the kingdom, we have Peter ready. And when the master knocks, he opens the door and says, it's Messiah. Messiah is here. But Jesus' answer to Peter also tells us that everyone should be watchful and waiting. Everyone should be. This message is for the disciples, and it, honestly, it's for us as followers of Jesus Christ. But we're going to see that, that, that from Jesus' answer, this parable was really for everyone. Let's take a look at how Jesus responds to Peter's question in verse 42 and following. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time? Right, so basically, who, who's doing the master's work while the master's gone? Okay, that's, that's the first part there. Verse 43. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes. All right, so by the end of verse 43, what Jesus is saying is, hey, I've given you guys a job. I've, I've told you what to do. When I return, are you going to be doing it? Or, in this case, with Jesus in the first century, when I come for the first time, am I going to find you doing it? Verse 44, truly I say to you that he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the house will come home on a day when he does not expect, does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know. And he will what? Cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Jesus. That's brutal. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. I don't know why that makes me smile every time I read that. Like, a light beating. What's the difference between a light beating and a severe beating? Both are beatings. I think we should pass on both, right? Like, who wants a beating? No one, right? I'll, I'll pass on that. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. So Jesus answers Peter by saying, uh, this teaching is for you, and it's for everyone. This teaching is for all. Now, his answer splits his hearers into two groups. Kind of sort of three but two, okay? Uh, there are those who are faithful servants in the household, and there are those who are not faithful. Those who are faithful servants in the household, and there are those who are not faithful. So this, then, is the third description of readiness. Those who are ready for the coming kingdom continue in faithful obedience to the master while we wait and watch. Okay? So those who are ready for the kingdom Continue in faithful obedience to the master while we wait and watch. Now, in this parable, Jesus identifies two groups of people, but like I said, he kind of mentions them as three. There are faithful servants, and then there are those who are unfaithful. But then the unfaithful are divided into two groups. There are the abusive servants, and then there are the unfaithful in general. I think this third group uh, should be considered as those who are outside of the household of the manager. Okay, they are outside of the household of the manager. These are unbelievers. 
These are non-followers of God. These are non-followers of Jesus. Now, the first two groups, the, the faithful servant and the abusive servant, those exist inside the house. They exist inside the house. One group is faithful to the master and are true members of the household. Okay? The second group serves themselves rather than the master. The second group serves themselves rather than the master. In fact, you might even say that they serve themselves at the expense of the master. Now, these people exploit their fellow servants. They have no regard for the master. So even, they, even though they appear to be a part of the household because of their title and because of their position, they betray their master and their fellow servants. These people are not members of the household at all. They are just like the unfaithful, okay? They are just like the unfaithful, those with no claim to the house. So let me see if I can um, maybe break from the language of the parable and try to put this in. So when Jesus is telling a parable, what's he usually doing? He's trying to make one point by making another point. So let's see if we can see the point Jesus was trying to make and see if we can unpack what's going on here apart from the language of the parable so that we get a better sense of what's going on. All right, first off, I think it will be helpful for us to remember what the kingdom means, the coming of the kingdom means. When, when we talk about the coming of the kingdom, what do we mean? All right, now, I know it's been a while because we've been going through the book of Luke for over a year, even though I took the summer off. It's been a year, okay? So as we've talked about the coming of the kingdom, we've looked at it in three ways. There is the fact that the kingdom has come, the kingdom is here, and the kingdom is coming. It has come, it is here, it is coming. It is a past, present, and future reality. So when we think about the kingdom of God, we have to think about it in all three ways. So when we think about the, the kingdom come as a past event, we need to think of it as the arrival of Jesus in his earthly ministry. So when did the kingdom come? It came with Jesus in his earthly ministry. That is a point in history in the first century when Jesus came. So as Jesus talks about his coming kingdom while he is alive, there is this present sense of the kingdom. He ushered in the kingdom. It came with him, okay? And how do we know that? Because the ministry and life of Jesus is a foretaste of what is to come. What did we see in the ministry of Jesus? He healed the sick. What do we know is going to happen in the end? There'll be no more sick. He raised the dead. What do we know is going to happen in the end? There'll be no more death. He forgave sins while he was on earth. All sins will be cleansed and forgiven for all eternity. So he did all this while he was on earth. He was the word of God in the flesh, the truth of God in person on earth. And what do we know? He tells us that he will be our God and he will be with us and we will be his people in the end. So we see this already happen, but at the same time, there is this future kingdom. So his earthly ministry is a foretaste of the future kingdom. All right? Now, we also need to understand the coming of Jesus as our present reality because he has offered us forgiveness of sins. All right? He did defeat death as he was raised from the dead. So it was a past event, and it's our present reality. All right. Now, in other words, what Jesus is telling us today and what he was telling them then is that they need to watch and wait for him. 
They need to watch and wait for him as a past reality of him showing up. So Peter goes, I've been watching, I've been waiting. And Jesus says, right, you believe in me. But there are those who are there who did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah while he was on earth. So in the sense that some did recognize who Jesus was as Messiah, those are the faithful servants. And he's contrasting them in the past against the Jewish religious leaders of his day. The Pharisees should have been able to see Jesus for who he was. They should have been able to. They were in the master's house. They had access to the orders that the master had given. They should have been able to recognize him as Messiah. But they were so caught up in defending their power and in their lifestyle and their authority that they missed that the master was coming. They were firmly caught up in the worries of their life. In the meantime, what they do? They used their power and position to oppress other members of the household and to use and leverage the other members of the household to serve their worries and their anxieties. Are, are you seeing what's going on here? All right? They, they thought they were ready, but they weren't about the master's business. They were about their own business. The religious leaders of Jesus' day missed the past coming of the kingdom because they were not watching and they were not waiting and they were not faithful. And so when the Messiah arrived, they were too busy defending their own worries and their own anxieties to see that the Lord had come. But since the kingdom isn't just a past event, all right, since, since Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and offered forgiveness of sins and eternal life to us now, the kingdom is here and present in the 21st century. And yet we know that the kingdom has not yet come. It's still coming. There is this future event where Jesus returns and makes all things new and defeats sin and death once and for all. Now in that frame of mind, where does this fit? Where are we? How do we fit into these parables that we've seen, seen today? So in this case, the faithful servants are true Christians and people who believe in the Messiah and that we are waiting and watching for Jesus to return. And the wicked servants, the wicked servants are those in the church who use the authority and power and position within the church for evil and for personal gain. And I want to say these people don't exist. But the truth of the matter is, they do. And Jesus says that these people who are leveraging the church for their own personal gain are not believers at all. They are phonies. They are abusers. They are unfaithful and will be counted with those outside of the house of God. Jesus says that all people need to be waiting and watchful for the coming of the kingdom. I want you guys to remember back to Clark's sermon a few weeks ago. What happened to the rich guy who built the new barns to store all his wealth? Luke chapter 12, verse 20, says that God will call that man a fool. He'll call him a fool because he will demand his life from him that very night. This rich man was heavily invested in serving himself and focusing on his own small human kingdom and on the worries of his life. And Jesus says, watch out. 
He says, watch out. If you try to amass for yourself wealth and power and influence or authority here on earth, then you are missing the point. All of that, all of that can be taken from you. Remember what else we read earlier in Luke chapter 12? It's an unpleasant verse, but it's in the Bible, so we have to talk about it. Jesus said, do not worry about the one who can kill the body only. Jesus said, worry about the one who can kill the body and also throw the body, the soul, into hell. Last week we saw Jesus take on this this compassionate tone as he uh, uh, addressed the worries that we have in our life. He was gentle because he understood our propensity to get caught up in our, our worries. He called us his little flock. He spoke about us with tenderness. In these next few verses, we see him move from from compassion, like we saw last week, to exhortation. Be ready. Be watchful. Be waiting. Be faithful. And then we see another change of tone in Jesus' voice. So, compassionate and tender, a tone of exhortation. And then in the last part here, I want you to see that Jesus takes on a very protective tone. This is a very protective tone. Now, your brain is quick to go to judgment. This is a very judgy tone. It's a very protective tone. What did he just call us? His little flock. What did he just show? Tenderness and compassion, understanding. What did he just tell us? That it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. These are good things he's saying. He's saying if we're watchful, if we're waiting, if we're faithful, then he can't can't wait to come in and take the place of a servant and serve us. But, But right here in the middle of this, we see this compassion, tender tone turn very protective. Jesus says to his listeners and to us today, all right, that being free from the worries of this world will equip us to stand ready for action, as we wait for his coming. He says to his followers, wait for me, watch for me, and be faithful to what I've told you to do. Then, in that protective tone, he turns to those who are not his followers. Remember, ultimately there are two groups. Those who are not his followers, and he says to them, beware, beware. You may think you have time to get it together. You may think you can get it right Later, you may think you can do whatever you want now as long as you're ready before I come. The thing is, you don't know when I'm coming. You don't know when I'm coming. And if you're waiting to be faithful to the end, the end's going to come before you're faithful and you will be found unfaithful. That should make you uncomfortable. Jesus does not mince his words here. He's very direct, and by God's grace and mercy, he is. He does not allow us to occupy a middle ground. He draws the line in the sand. And that is for our good and for our benefit. Are you a waiting 
watchful, faithful servant, or are you not? Because if you are not, I'm still coming. He says, for those who are watchful and waiting and faithful, I come bringing blessings. You should have great anticipation, excitement, joy for the coming of the kingdom. He's coming. Finally, yes. But if you are not ready, it is not a celebration. It is judgment. And I want you to hear this protective tone. Why is Jesus so angry? Because these people are oppressing the servants. These people are coming after the ones who are following him. Who are the ones that they get their wealth, their power, and authority from? Those they abuse. And so in this, there is excitement and encouragement even for the oppressed. Because when the master of the house comes, what's he going to do? There will be justice. They will be taken care of. In Jesus' day, it meant those religious leaders who abused those in their care, the Pharisees. In our day, oh man, you better not be a pastor that is serving himself from the pulpit. You better not be elders leading the church for your own gain. You better not be a power broker in the church trying to make your life more comfortable. Oh man, those people will catch a beating. And don't you think ignorance is good enough? He says those who don't know and still are found doing what they ought not be doing will still receive a beating. I don't know the difference between the beating that those who know what they're doing is going to get and those who don't, but you know what? I don't think it matters because what we're supposed to see is no matter what, judgment is coming on those who abuse the authority that they've been given. Ignorance is not an option. I want to, to go ahead and skip to the last uh, verse, uh, Preston. Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry, verse, Romans chapter 2, verse 12 says this, For all who have sinned without the law also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. If you look at Romans chapter 1 through 3, which we just simply do not have time to unpack today, it says everybody's guilty. Everybody's guilty. You don't get to plead ignorance. Now, man, when, when I think about this passage, when, when, when I read all of, of Luke chapter 12, and guess what, guys? You want to buckle in? Next week is harsher. Next week is harsher. So Jesus is talking about handing out beatings this week. Next week, it gets even harsher. Now, I, I want you guys, you guys have known me. I've, I've been on staff here for 11 years, pastor for four and a half. I don't know. I lose track. Uh, and, and I am not a guy who likes to preach hellfire and brimstone. But I have to be faithful to the text. And what does the text say? Be watchful. Be waiting. The same coming, the same coming of the kingdom is a joy for those who believe and it is terrifying for those who don't. It's the same coming. And Jesus says this, always be watchful. Always be waiting. Always be faithful. How often, church? Always. 
He says you can't wait. As much as I love to joke around about the way I, I live when Elise is out of town, right? Like, I, that's the perfect metaphor for what's going on here. That's ridiculous. It says, I am not going to behave like my master was with me while my master is gone. We are to live as faithful followers of Jesus Christ the same way as if he were right there. So he says to be watchful and waiting because there is this anticipation that he's going to come back again. And so we should be living like that's always tomorrow or like that's always the next day. And so in our minds, especially as good Baptists who are evangelistically minded, I think we think of this as we better tell everybody the gospel. We better go out and tell everybody the gospel. We better go out and make sure everybody's saved. Of course it means that. But it means so much more than that. It means we're supposed to be about the Father's business in our life. Now! It means there is an expectation as a member of the household of God that we live faithfully. That our life is marked by obedience. In the kingdom of God, in the household of God, there's no room for disobedience. Now when you hear me say that, Okay, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation or you're not okay until, you know, like, until you clean your life up. Garbage. That's all bad theology, okay? My point is this. We don't get to let ourselves off the hook. That's my only point. We don't get to say, that's why Paul says, like, should we go on, go on sinning so that grace may abound? What's Paul say next? By no means. Like, there is this expectation of if he really is your master, then what do you do? You do what the master says. Now, what I want us to see is, as we look at this passage, what do we see throughout the whole thing? Blessing, 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 blessing for those who are faithful. Blessing, blessing, blessing for those who are watchful. Blessing, blessing, blessing for those who are waiting. It is for our good to live this way. It's for our good to live this way. Well, I'll just continue my metaphor of the dirty house. Is it really for our good to just let the dishes pile up to let the gunk pile up? Is that really for our good? That's, that's not for our good. You know, if you let that go on too long, call those people hoarders, right? And everybody hears that and you're like, uh, this is not healthy, right? So if we know these things are true, it's, it's the same kind of concept in our life as, as members of the household of God. We, we should want to be faithful because what he's called us to do, the chores that he's given us to continue this house metaphor, are for our good. It's for our benefit. To follow him is not a burden. It is a joy. It is a delight. Because to obey is, is for our good. It's, it's what we need for a healthy, productive life. For a life that is prepared and watchful and waiting and anticipating Christ's return. It's living like he's with us. And the other side of that is, there's two groups of people. Those who are ready and those who are not. And Jesus makes it pretty clear that those who are not ready will receive judgment. They'll receive judgment. So what is the solution? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have said, I know he's the Messiah, the Son of God, that he died for my sins and offered me forgiveness, and I am going to serve him as Lord and Master of my life, then, then what is the solution to getting ready? It, it's to begin to, to repent of our sins and walk forward in obedience. To say, hey, no more of that. 
I'm going to put that behind me. I want to be found a faithful servant. I, I just want to be obedient. It's confessing your sin and walking forward in obedience and anticipating and waiting for his return. If, if you're not a believer, what, what's the solution? It's the same. It's recognizing that the master is going to come and that he truly is the master. And that, think about the, the metaphor. When he comes in, he, he takes on the servant's clothes and, and serves his servants. What we see in Philippians chapter 2, we see Jesus put on human clothes and serve creation as he emptied himself, made himself nothing, taking up the nature of a servant and humbled himself to die, even death on a cross. That by faith in him, we might be saved. So he says, don't delay. Don't delay. If you've been putting this off, for a long time, don't delay. It's time now. If you're a believer and you've been living in sin, if you've not been waiting and watchful, then it's time to repent. If you're an unbeliever, then it's also time to put your faith in the Lord and repent. So the praise team's going to come and we're going to sing a few, a few songs to close here. And guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not this hellfire and brimstone preacher. You, you know that about me. But the, the text here puts some urgency on it. So my question to you is this. Why wait? Why wait? If you are ready, the truth is the truth. It, it, it's time to put your faith into action. So however the Lord may be moving, this is the time to respond. If you need to talk to me about what it is to place your faith in Jesus Christ, I'll be down front. I'd love to talk with you. If you're here and you just need to lay your needs down before the Lord, the altar is open. Come and pray. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for the way that you love us, that you don't let us play the middle, that you call us to the joy of obedience. Lord, I pray that uh, today's word, as, as your, your text was open, would see that your coming is imminent. We should always live like today could be our last. Help us, Lord, to walk forward in faith and obedience. It's in your name we pray. Amen.